This conversation on COVID-19 is made possible by Discovery. Welcome to Inside COVID-19. I'm Jackie Cameron for Biz News. In this episode, we look at the big changes for the tourism sector as lockdown eases with an interview with Deputy Minister of Tourism, Fish Machlalela, on government plans to get business and leisure travel moving. Also coming up in this show, Discovery Vitality Wellness Head, Dr. Musima Mabunda, unveils new benefits for Discovery members that will also help to stimulate business activity in the leisure and hospitality sector. And we hear from a world expert on steroids, Dr. Brian McVerry, a critical care specialist and associate professor at the University of Pittsburgh, on what science is telling us about how to treat the most serious cases of COVID-19. First, the COVID-19 news making world headlines. Just under 16,700 people have died in South Africa of COVID-19, and about 673,000 people have tested positive for the disease in the country. Nine zip codes in New York account for a quarter of all cases citywide, Bloomberg reports. A top UK lawmaker has blocked a bid by rebels in Prime Minister Boris Johnson's party to curb emergency coronavirus powers as governments across Europe are tightening measures to battle a COVID-19 resurgence. The Dutch government has urged citizens to wear masks and the Czech Republic has issued a 30-day state of emergency to stem a surge in cases. Spain's nascent economic recovery is threatened by a second wave of coronavirus infections, the International Monetary Fund has warned. Coronavirus superspreaders were behind the explosion of COVID-19 in India, Bloomberg reports. India is the country with the most cases after the US. One in 15 Indians have been exposed and more than 6.2 million cases have been recorded. One in every 1,000 children in New York State lost a parent to COVID-19 between March and July, That's according to a report released by the United Hospital Fund, and this is based on an analysis conducted in collaboration with Boston Consulting Group. Bloomberg reports that as many as 325,000 children were pushed into or near poverty by the pandemic-related economic downturn. Iran's authorities are weighing a week-long shutdown of Tehran, the capital, and several other provinces severely affected by the outbreak. The Russian Direct Investment Fund and Egyptian Farco have agreed to secure a supply of 25 million doses of the Sputnik V vaccine for Egypt. That's according to the Russian Sovereign Wealth Fund. Russia has already announced supply agreements with Mexico, Brazil and India, among others, says Bloomberg. The Russian vaccine has not undergone advanced clinical trials to ensure safety and effectiveness. Saudi Arabia's economy contracted 7% in the second quarter from a year earlier, This illustrates the damage wrought by the oil market turmoil combined with the pandemic. The oil sector shrank an annual 5.3%, while the non-oil economy, which is the engine of job creation in the region, declined 8.2%, says Bloomberg. Shell is to cut up to 9,000 jobs. This comes as COVID precipitates a company-wide restructuring into low-carbon energy. 
Britons saved almost a third of their income during the lockdown as the pandemic shuttered stores and sent the economy into a deep slump. Bloomberg reports that the saving ratio soared to an unprecedented 29% in the second quarter. It quotes the Office for National Statistics. The figures confirm that Britain has been the worst performing major advanced economy during the quarter, with gross domestic product shrinking almost 20%. Vaccines alone will not be enough to fight COVID-19. This is the warning from drug maker Novartis. The company's CEO, Vaz Narasimhan, said in an interview that treatments will also play a crucial role. He says that significant supplies of highly effective vaccines probably will not be available until the end of next year. And even once a vaccine is on the market, it probably won't protect everyone, as is the case with seasonal flu. Inside COVID-19 from Business. Next. Linda van Tolberg, business reporter, speaks to Deputy Finance Minister of Tourism, Fish Mahlalela, on government plans to get business and leisure travel moving. South Africa's international borders are opening up again this week, but tourists from countries deemed to be a high risk would not be allowed. The tourism industry is a sector that has been hit hard by the COVID-19 lockdowns, and many smaller operators and lodges have been forced to close down. The industry organized protests in major cities, including Cape Town and Johannesburg, and it included a campaign with the hashtag South Africa is travel ready. With so many women affected by the travel ban, it is estimated that 70% of the industry's workforce comprise of women, a campaign was launched in August with the hashtag I am tourism to highlight the issue. In an interview with Business, the Deputy Minister of Tourism, Mr. Fish Mashlalela, said from this week, business travelers would be allowed from high-risk countries. As you are aware, we have started a opening tourism gradually informed by the government's risk adjustment strategy. The opening of the borders and the full operational of the tourism sector was put at alert level one. As you might be aware, that is from the 21st of September this month, the country has moved to alert level one, which therefore enables all the activities in the tourism sector to be operational. We, on Sunday, had a very successful World Tourism Day, which we celebrated at the Craigle of Humankind in Maruping. Borders, as you are aware, according to the announcement by the President on Alert Level 1, there will be 18 land borders, which will partially be operational. Partial in a sense that it has been operating since the lockdown. But now, as I'm saying, it will be fully operational because it has been partial operating since level five, but only allowing emergencies and goods and services coming in or outside of South Africa. Now they will be full operational. The 35 land borders will remain closed. Travel in terms of three of our Airport will be operational. It's indicated on the first, that is the OR Tambo International Airport in Johannesburg and the King Shaga International Airport in Bajulu Natal in Devon, as well as the Cape Town International Airport in Western Cape in Cape Town. 
So these are the three borders that will be open and we're hoping that people will come in their big numbers in the region in particular. But in the whole world, if those countries doesn't fall under the high-risk countries. How do you define this high risk? Is there a list of countries? In other words, um, I'm at the moment, I'm in the UK. Would that be in the high-risk category? And what kind of COVID testing is required and isolation period? We'll be guided by the Department of Health, which is working in consultation with the WHO. Based on that, there will be those countries that is high-risk countries. But there will be requirements for everybody coming to South Africa that they must meet in order for them to come into the country. First and foremost, when you land, you must be able to produce a COVID test certificate, which is not older than 72 hours. But secondly, if you happen not to produce that, it's not that you will be total barred from entering. You will then have to go a quarantine at your own cost. You know the the maximum quarantine is 10 days. But the easiest way will be in the process being tested so that while you're in quarantine, then you are able to get your results. And then if you get cleared, then you will then be allowed to, to be free, which I think is not going to take very long because our laboratory is now well equipped and they are able to produce results within 24 hours. Are you thinking of only allowing business travelers from the high-risk countries that at the moment is having a second wave? Yeah, on those high-risk countries, one of the assurances that if you are running a business, you will be allowed to enter South Africa as long as you are able to provide proof that you've got a business that you are running in South Africa and then you are coming for your business to check how the business is, is doing because you have not been able to be there. But you will be required to undergo those processes, produce these uh, test results within 22 hours, and then we must then satisfy ourselves that you are not going to, to be a spread of the disease. The Tourism Business Council of South Africa has been working really hard to get the protocols in place for the tourism industry to reopen. And I've spoken to some of them this morning who's, who said that they are worried if you only allow business, that's not going to open the gates for tourism to revive. And especially in the Western Cape, which relies so heavily on international tourists. What everybody needs to understand is that the government has presented in the network which is the composition of business, labor, and civil society, and economic recovery plan. And one of the key elements of that plan is first and foremost to save lives and then reignite the economy and all of those. So government is, is willing to revive the tourism sector because we feel very strong that it is key in terms of development and in terms of recovery. But you can't risk life of people. As I'm saying, there's still a discussion. I don't think there will be a whole range of many countries. There will be few isolated countries that will be excluded as part of the risk country as well. But two, even some countries have already imposed their own restrictions. So even if you allow them to come in, they will not be able to come in because their own countries have imposed restrictions. So those are some of the things that we need to take into consideration. But first and foremost, reach all the region in the continent 
countries will be allowed to come to South Africa, which is the highest tourism contributor in South Africa. Because out of the 10 million, more than 10 million tourists that came to, to, to South Africa last year, 2019, 7.5 million was from the region of Africa. And therefore, our market, it's very key. And then we've got Europe as another market. Not that the totality of the European countries will be in the high risk, no. There will be one or two. So the market will be opened in big numbers. There might be a sizable number of the market that might not be open. One other question that the industry was asking about the e-visa. They think the e-visa is not working well. What is the latest development with the e-visa system? Well, the matter is being handled by Home Affairs. The last time we, before we went to COVID, as you know, they started testing last year in Kenya, then moved to, to China and India and New Zealand. And the understanding was that before COVID, cabinet has decided that a, it should be spread throughout and start rolling throughout the countries. So due to COVID-19 and all the other related matters, I'm sure there was some delay in the home affairs. And I'm sure they will be picking up, up now since the, the alert level one allows now international travel to take place. It's a matter that government is, is interested on and is working on around to make sure that we make it easy for people because without easy visa facilitation, it will not be easy to achieve the numbers that we want to see coming to South Africa. So we are working with Home Affairs to make sure that they fast track and facilitate the process and make it easy for people to use the e-visa and be able to travel to South Africa. The tourism industry has been decimated. We've done so many stories of lodges suddenly not being able to continue, people losing their jobs. Do you think the government has done enough to support the industry? And are you thinking of extra measure to help them market South Africa more again? Yeah, we put more resources on marketing. As you saw, you are not going to be marketing something, a product that is not going to be used. So since now the market is opening, we'll be able through our, our agent, South African Tourism, to be able to go out there and market South Africa very, very extensively. We have put a lot of efforts for social relief. As you are aware, we've used the UIF to, to support the workers. We've put in place a social relief fund which is available for the business to be able to tap on it. And then we also, as the entire government, put aside a, a tourism relief fund for SMEs. And government has, has put aside 200 billion rand as a guarantee that can be used to, to borrow money from the banks and be able to resuscitate their business. For tourists, to, especially international tourists, to return to South Africa, it requires trust. They've got to trust that they're safe in South Africa. They've got to trust that they're not going to get COVID-19 if there's perhaps a second wave. What do you say to international tourists? Why should they trust South Africa as a destination? Your minister talked about South Africa would soon be the destination of choice, the key driver of the economy over the weekend. As you have alluded earlier on, working together with the TBSA, the industry together with us, we're able to put standard protocols for COVID-19, which create a safer environment. We have been visiting our various hotels, lodges, and tourist attraction centers 
to see the extent to which industry is complying with the safety protocols. And we're very much pleased that thus far, there has been a, a lot of efforts that have been put in place to make sure that there is safety in the sector. And we believe the sector is prepared to maintain that safety protocols, adhere to it to the latter. And then that will then enable us to create hope and safety for, for anybody coming to South Africa that you will receive. Thus far, since the operation has started, we've never had any break of the disease arising from any of our hotels, lodges, and BNBs. That indicates even domestically, as you started using domestic travel, it has been a buzz throughout the two weekends, and we've never had any case reported arising from those that means uh, people have taken seriously the issue of the safety because without that, without creating confidence, practical, and what is it that South Africa will offer in terms of safety in relation to health protocols and all other related matters, it will be difficult for us to convince anybody to come to South Africa. But we're saying to the world, we're open, we've created safety measures, put all precautionary measures, so that we make sure that everybody comes to South Africa does not find himself or herself having a catch the pandemic because of the systems that the industry and ourselves as government working together we've put in place to create that safer environment for everybody. Minister, when can we expect a decision on this debate on which countries would be allowed in? The commitment by government is that the list will be made available before the first that that is before the opening of the borders, so that by the time we open the borders, we'll be able to know which, which countries is allowed to come and which countries are not allowed to come. But as I indicated, there, there will be very few of those countries will be declared as high-risk countries. This is Linda van Tommelberg for Biz News. Inside COVID-19 from Biz News. Coming up. Discovery Vitality Wellness Head Dr. Mosima Mabunda unveils new benefits for Discovery members that will help to stimulate business activity in the leisure and hospitality sectors. She also speaks about other new offerings for members. It's a very warm welcome to Dr. Mosima Mabunda, Head of Vitality Wellness. Dr. Mabunda, you had a big announcement about the Vitality program today. Before we get into the details, perhaps you can briefly sketch out what Discovery Vitality does and how it fits into the Discovery Group. Jackie, good morning, and thank you for having me. Vitality is the world's leading science-based behavioral change program. Essentially what we do, we encourage and reward our members for living healthy, for driving well, and for banking well. How we do that is we determine what the right behaviors are across health, driving, and banking, and we provide our members with incentives for adopting those behaviors. Over and above the incentives, we reward our members for these healthy behaviors. And in your announcement today, you've made major changes to your rewards, actually giving your members free rewards for performance last year. Could you elaborate on that a bit? 
for this launch, we're doing a couple of things, right? We are, as you rightly mentioned, recognizing engagement for 2019 in 2020. The context behind that is we recognize, Jackie, that the pandemic and associated lockdown has made it rather challenging for our members to access screening services. And it has also reduced physical activity options. And in our commitment to get our members healthy and to get them motivated through vitality status, we took a business decision to actually recognize our members' engagement last year into this year. And how that will play out is members will receive the higher of their points between 2019 and 2020, between Jan and September. And this really, we believe, will be well-received by our members and, most importantly, will motivate them to engage in the program for the remainder of the year because we know that it is the ongoing engagement that ultimately leads to the health benefits that we so love, which is the crux of our program. And I see you're putting a lot of energy into boosting the tourism sector and also helping your clients travel. Could you elaborate a bit on all these discounts and benefits that you are providing? I'm actually very pleased about our, our travel benefit. I'm happy to share that the Vitality Booking platform is now open and our members can now make accommodation bookings and also car hire reservations. But even more exciting is that our members can spend their valuable discovery miles on SA's largest travel websites, Safari Now and Travel Start. This really allows us to provide our members with unique accommodation offers a wide range of flights and holiday packages. I agree with you that it definitely, definitely will go a long way in boosting tourism in South Africa. And going forward, we'll hopefully have introduced our members to the awesome uh, holiday destinations locally that they will continue to choose this going forward. Do you have any idea yet what type of stimulation these changes could make to the tourism sector? Do you have a number of partners, for example, who are set to benefit? We have a large number of partners. I don't have a number top of heart, but if I think of the extensive Vitality Hotel collection that currently exists, right, and the breadth of what Safari now has and travel start, it's really vast, essentially. There will be very few places locally that our members would not be able to go. So, so this is really huge, right? This is really huge, not only for our members, but really for the economy. And last time we spoke you shared with us that Discovery Vitality members have been very philanthropic with their points. Is that possible with your changes now? The Move to Give program is an essential part of the Vitality program. We continue to encourage our members to donate their miles to causes that are worthy and needy. And what we have seen throughout the lockdown is that our members have actually taken up to giving up their mouths to benefit those that are less fortunate than them. I mean, recently, I think end of July, our members had managed to raise up to 2 million rents, really purely by just donating their mouths. And that has gone a long way to support organizations that actually needed those funds to make a difference in the country. So move to give an essential component of our program. Our members are really giving and they're using move to give as a vehicle for them to have an impact in society. How is behavior changing now that lockdown has eased to level one? What is your database telling you about how South Africans are adapting to the change? Jackie, what we are seeing now as the lockdown levels eases 
and as the economy opens up, is our members are responsibly starting to engage. Physical activity is a case in point where we moved from a space where it was barely possible to exercise. And as the country opened up, we've seen our members taken to the outdoors to exercise safely, using their devices to track their uh, exercise and and points. And actually what we noted is those members that exercised and tracked their activity using fitness devices were a lot more resilient throughout the lockdown. They remained more physically active than those that didn't use fitness devices. So definitely as the lockdown level eases, I really continue to be amazed by how resilient we're seeing our members being to a point where actually if we look at the number of members that are active, it's starting to track close to what we used to see previously. How are you preparing for the possibility that South Africa might see a tightening up of COVID-19 restrictions and with that we, we will all become more sedentary again? Our philosophy right now during COVID is, is that of being mindful of the environment that we're finding ourselves in and how we're preparing ourselves and our members is by making sure that our program remains adaptable and is able to cater for our members despite what lockdown level we're in. And we've seen from the launch announcements we've made from in April and what we're doing now is we continue to have digital and physical options within our programs so that if members are engaging outside and the environment allows, we encourage them to be safe and engage appropriately. However, if it's not safe for people to be outside, we have enhanced our offering with digital options. An example that comes to mind for me is the physical activity offering, where we now have uh, plenty of digital offerings so for our members to exercise from the comfort of their own homes. So we, we definitely try to ensure the product remains relevant and is able to encourage healthy behavior despite the, the COVID-19 pandemic. And to, to curb sedentary time, which you rightly mentioned, and it's a consequence of people being locked down, one is the physical activity options that I mentioned, where people can exercise from the comfort of their homes through a partnership with Jeff Online. Secondly is, is our fitness device benefit. We have seen those members that exercise with devices to be a lot more resilient. So by continuing to make fitness devices accessible, actually we encourage members to stay active and, and their points. Another way that we try and curb people from being sedentary and encouraging them to exercise is we run a number of virtual events over weekends where members can get up to 300 points by taking a run outside on a Saturday or a Sunday. So these are some of the ways that we try and keep our members active keep our members healthy while being mindful of the environment where we find ourselves in. Let's look at some of the actual medical features of the program. In your announcement, you mentioned that you'll give points for people who were awarded the 2019 flu vaccine because it was in short supply this year. There's a lot of research coming out that in the Northern Hemisphere, doctors have noticed that many people who died of COVID-19 also had flu in the first spike in the UK. So it suggests that it would be a good idea to get a flu jab. What is your view on the flu vaccination and what are you telling your members? Vaccinations overall as a category are very important. In the time period that we find ourselves in, flu vaccination even more so. In our program, we incentivize members. We give our members points for getting a flu jab. We also annually run campaigns to make our members aware of the importance of vaccinations and specifically now flu vaccinations. And earlier on around March, we ran a campaign to actually encourage our members to go get a flu vaccination. 
So definitely, definitely, we believe in the value of vaccinating to protect yourself, and we encourage our members to do so. It's a pity the flu vaccination ran out, but I think most of our members would have had an opportunity to vaccinate at the heart of the pandemic. And let's look at obesity and people who are overweight. There's also a lot of research to suggest that you are at higher risk if you are overweight. And, you know, sitting around, I think, you know, look at myself, I look at my friends, it's, I think it's fair to say that I've seen more people putting on weight recently. What kind of tips are you giving people apart from the do more exercise? Are you suggesting specific diets? How are you encouraging your members to lose weight? Obesity, as you rightly point out, is a key risk factor for severe disease of COVID, right? We have seen the government, our government, and governments across the globe encouraging those members that are deemed to be at severe risk of COVID disease to take extra measures to avoid crowded places, to stay at home as much as they can, to just be mindful of the number of contacts they have so that they minimize their exposure. That is definitely one way to try and minimize your risk of getting infected. Importantly, what we also encourage our members to do And this is the physical activity options that we've provided. We continue to make it easier for them to engage in physical activity. But the one thing that I definitely think is worth mentioning is because we realize that, especially for those people that are high risk, that they are confined at home, we are trying to make it easier for our members to eat healthy when they're at home. We're expanding our nutrition offering specifically the healthy dining benefit, to introduce frozen and convenience meals. Our members will get up to 25% off on healthier frozen and convenience meal. This is just one way to ensure that our members can eat healthier and contribute to managing their weight. You have huge discounts here for flights, for food, up to 75%. Where is this money coming from? Discovery shareholders might be wondering whether they're paying for this. How does the model work? You've actually touched at the heart of Discover's shared value model. When our members engage in appropriate behaviors, they benefit because they get sick less. The less sick they are, the less they claim. It means the benefits generate savings, which is able to pass some of them back to the members to enable this benefits. So it is a shared value model where members actually are taking part in enabling us to, to make this benefits available to them. And our shareholders benefit because then we have a business where our members stay longer with us because they're benefiting their access and lifestyle that they may not have been able to access. And they're accessing it when they're at their best healthy selves. The business is benefiting because we don't, we would not have as many claims as we would have had if we are not proactively getting our members healthy, right? And we also have members who'd stay with us longer because they enjoy the benefit of being on our program. And society as a result benefit because the healthier population, the better society. And the Vitality Shared Value Insurance Model, your new benefits, are these feeding through to the 24 markets that your program is run in? How the Vitality Program works is we tend to localize it per market to ensure that the partner benefits make sense for the respective members in each country. So the Vitality Program will share a common theme across the board where we will have nutrition, and I'll use nutrition as, as an example. We will have healthy food, we will have healthy dining, but the specific partners themselves would differ by country. And the specific partners in the in the categories would be those partners that are relevant in those key markets. Is there anything else you'd like to mention, maybe about the specifics of the South African Vitality Program? 
So the key point on, on healthy gear is we are overhauling the healthy gear benefit to allow our members to have an upfront discount at the point of sale versus the current process where members would need to pay upfront and wait for cashbacks. That's the highlight for, for, for healthy gear. And we are now calling it active gear and think our members will actually appreciate the instant gratification. We're extending this process to a fitness device benefit, and our members can now get up to 50% upfront discount. For those that are members that are with Discovery Bank, they get an additional 25% boost. This benefit of upfront discount will be extended to a partnership we have with the world's best sports brand, Nike. Our members will be able to also enjoy this upfront discount of up to 75% on Nike gear, and that includes shoes and apparel. This benefit can be enjoyed at our amazing partners, Sportsman's Warehouse, Total Sports, and Nike Concept Stores. We're really excited about this, and we really, really believe it goes a long way to just demonstrate the support we have for our members in partnering with them on their journey towards good health. So the main differences are that instead of getting Points later, they get the cash up. They get a cash discount up front. Yes, they get the cash discount up front, and it just makes the products a lot more accessible. And with the tourism benefit, what is the change compared to previously? So the big change now for travel is our partnership with SA's largest travel website, Travelstat and Safari. Now, our members will be able to spend their valuable discovery miles on unique accommodation offers, wide range of flights, and holiday packages offered by these websites. We are working on releasing a report called the COVID Care Gap Index, focusing specifically on health promotion and preventative services to just look at the difference between 2019 and 2020 in terms of access to screening services and vaccinations, understand some of the member concerns in accessing the services, as you rightly pointed out, that are we going into a second wave? Are we not? People are watching what's happening in Europe, and that has an impact on member perception of risk and behavior. So so we're releasing that report uh, because we need to almost have a position to alleviate the concerns whilst acknowledging them, but also guide members to say, for some of these things need to be done. How do you think about doing them safe, safely? And just reiterating that you're actually more at risk if you don't go for some of these things. Do you have any figures to indicate whether you've got more members or have members dropped off? I suppose with the high unemployment, you would have lost some members. Not as significant as we would have expected. I think what part of what is driving us in, in innovating is we want to maintain the gains that we've had, where when members were considering lapse in the benefit, we would create opportunities for them to actually realize the value in the program right. and we've managed to get them to stay. And hence you're seeing this deeper discount because inadvertently, if you actually look at what this discounts mean, it actually means that someone is not worse off when they're paying a vitality premium because there is value. So we're spending a lot of time actually communicating the value of vitality so that members realize that they actually are better off on the program overall. You've been listening to Dr. Mosima Mabunda, Head of Vitality Wellness at Discovery Vitality. Dr. Brian McVerry is a critical care specialist and associate professor at the University of Pittsburgh in the U.S. He gives us an update on three studies on steroids which are being used to treat the most serious cases of COVID-19 in hospitals. Steroids have been of interest in treatment for critical illness syndromes for a number of years. They've been used for treatment of sepsis. They've been studied for treatment of acute respiratory failure, ARDS, with uh, variable results uh, throughout the years. 
uh, we were interested in um, steroids as immunosuppressants for uh, COVID-19 pneumonia or severe COVID-19 pneumonia. And the study was set up to study a couple of different courses of steroids. There were fixed dose steroids of relatively low dose. There were shock dependent steroids uh, versus usual care. Um, we were interested in determining which, if either, steroid course was more effective for treatment of COVID, severe COVID-19 pneumonia compared to usual care. And what the study found was that, well, first I should say the study was stopped early in the context of the recovery trial that was published in the UK, suggesting that dexamethasone treatment was beneficial for patients with COVID-19 pneumonia who required oxygen or more invasive ventilatory support. We analyzed our data after equipoise was essentially lost around the use of steroids for treatment. And what we found was that a short course of corticosteroids was effective in reducing the need for um, advanced organ support in critically ill patients with COVID-19 pneumonia. The fixed dose course uh, seemed to be potentially more effective than the shock-dependent course, although there was a trend towards benefit in shock-dependent dosing as well. The study did not run to full completion, and so I think the question still remains as to whether shock-dependent dosing is as effective as a fixed course. What do you mean by shock-dependent or shot-dependent? Shock-dependent. So patients with critical illness can develop low blood pressure and organ dysfunction related to low blood pressure that is called a shock state. and some studies have suggested in critical illness to use steroids when patients are in shock as opposed to not in shock, but still with respiratory failure. And so the dosing regimen would be restricted to patients with low blood pressure as opposed to um, all comers in the intensive care unit in the shock-dependent group. Steroids are traditionally associated for the layman with you know, gyms and so on. So what actually is a steroid and why are they used to treat disease? So the steroids associated with gyms and bodybuilding are different kind of steroids than what we're talking about. Um, those are so-called anabol anabolic steroids, which are used to um, accelerate muscle development in the context of exercise. Um, the adrenal glands produce both what are called glucocorticoids as well as adrenocorticoid, excuse me, mineralocorticoid hormones within the body that serve a number of different purposes. The glucocorticoids, most notably cortisol, is a stress hormone um, that is secreted in the context of illness or other physical stress. And so these steroids that we've employed are the glucocorticoid class. They have properties that are anti-inflammatory, so they fight the body's immune response. We're interested in studying steroids in the context of, of critical illness because much of the sequelae of critical illness are related to the body's immune response to whatever the insult was that stimulated the syndrome. So in sepsis, the critical illness is initiated by an infection, in this case COVID-19, but bacterial infections can cause sepsis. The body's response is an exaggerated immune response to fight that inspection. And it's relatively nonspecific in terms of how it acts. And so the inflammatory response can damage host tissues while fighting against the infectious insult. And, and that 
commonly contributes to the critical illness syndromes that we see in the intensive care unit. Inside COVID-19 from BizNews. And that brings to a close your Inside COVID-19. Until next time. This conversation on COVID-19 is made possible by Discovery.